You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. St. Therese of Lisieux. She was made into a saint within the Roman Catholic tradition because of the humble way she lived her life and loved others within her own context. She was a Carmelite nun. She lived at the early, in the early 1900s. And um, in that simple convent life that she lived in, she wasn't going to be able to perform these great worldly deeds that she had the desire to do. So she wasn't going to be able to go on to, be, to start a charity like Mother Teresa or build a huge church like St. Paul the Apostle or Peter did. For her, it was a, to worship Jesus was a more simple, humble, meager thing in her context. So what she learned, though, through a really active prayer life, um, was that love was her vocation. Love was her calling. She would choose to love Jesus, to worship God in her daily choices and how she controlled her emotions and how she responded to others and how she showed hospitality and grace. And it was in these simple little daily sacrifices that she worked out what it looked like to worship Jesus and to stand in the presence of God in her daily life. So Therese would do things like um, smile at the nuns at the convent who she didn't like, which is actually easier said than done sometimes, right? Um, She would eat whatever was put in front of her, even though that meant that she got usually the very worst leftovers. She would, there was one time that she was accused of breaking a vase, and instead of saying, hey, it wasn't me, she just dropped down on her knees and begged forgiveness. And the only reason we know about these kind of little unknown, humble little deeds that go undone is because she would diary about them. She'd journal. And when she died at the age of 24, her sister published her diaries. And hundreds of years later, people are still, Roman Catholics around the world are still reading these diaries and learning about this little way of trusting in Jesus that she worked out in that way she was working out her holiness. And I think that example of these small daily sacrifices instead of these great deeds, it really appealed to thousands of Catholics around the world who were also trying to kind of work out their holiness in their own context, in their own simple lives, right? And I think when I read about St. Therese, I found for myself that that was challenging and inspiring too, how hard it is to daily remember to stand in the presence of God, right? To constantly have in your mind, and how hard it is to not be grumpy when you're in the middle of an irritating conversation, right? Or to not get off the smelly subway car, whatever it is. These things are actually a lot harder than we give ourselves credit for sometimes, because we are a sinful, selfish people. We are a people who live in this crazy, mixed up, messed up world, and we have good and evil inside of us. The truth of it all is is that it's really hard for us sometimes to sit in the mystery of why life is the way that it is and who God is in the midst of all this. Sometimes we have to wrestle with the sinner and the saint inside each one of us. And so what I love about Forefront, one of the things I love about Forefront, is that we are an interdenominational congregation. So that means that we embrace and we borrow wisdom from all the different traditions of the Christian faith. And we are a very diverse church, which means that we value and flourish and grow from learning from each other's backgrounds and cultures and different styles of worship. So for example, today, you know, we've got this gorgeous, like, operatic-type music on the stage, it's totally likely that next week it might be electro-pop indie stuff. Just watch. So <laughs> this is who we are as a community, and I love that about it, about us, because I get to learn things like the Roman Catholic tradition of the saints, right? I really didn't know much about the saints before I started reading about it, or about them. Uh, I grew up in the Lutheran church tradition, 
And so I just remember this day called All Saints Day, which usually happened right after Halloween, where we acknowledge that we are all saints and sinners alike. Uh, And actually on that day, we would also read the Beatitudes, which the more I learned, the more and more this is starting to make some sense. And so I dug in a little bit to kind of understand what sainthood really is. And I found on, the, on a Catholic web, web page uh, an article that describes sainthood. And I want to read a, a quote from it for you guys. Saints are not freaks or exceptions. They are the standard operating model for human beings. In fact, in the biblical sense of the word, all believers are saints. Sanctity means holiness. All men, women, and children, born or unborn, beautiful or ugly, straight or gay, are holy, for they bear the image of God. Saints are not the opposites of sinners. There are no opposites of sinners in this world. Thus, holy does not mean sinless, but set apart. So here we are, right? We're closing out this epiphany series where we're talking about the season where Jesus is, the light. Um, He is and was and is to come. And here's Jesus standing here in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, giving us these beatitudes. And I think he's laying out this description of the fullness of life, right? What it looks like to live fully in the presence of God and the abundance of what life has to offer, of what God has to offer us. And he's describing things like being peacemakers and being meek and letting go of our egos and seeking righteousness for all people. And I think what Jesus is doing here ultimately is he's kind of describing for us what it looks like to be a people who are set apart from the world, right? Here's Jesus giving this announcement of a blessing that already exists. And how we choose to respond to that blessing is what sets us apart, sets us apart in his love, right? And we choose to worship and how we respond to these beatitudes and how we respond to these words of Jesus. So the questions that I kind of want us to sit in this morning as we wrap up this series is, is just how are we working out our holiness? How are we working out our sanctity, if you will? What in your context, what does it look like to, to worship Jesus? What does it look like to walk through these beatitudes and whatever is going on in your life right now? And as you kind of sit in that with us this morning, I want us to move into the last couple of verses of Matthew 5. Jen just read them for us. Uh, it's verses 11 and 12. Here it's where Jesus wraps things up and he kind of calls us into this kind of reflection. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So one thing I want us to know is that the basis for each blessing that Christ lays out in these Beatitudes is a fulfillment of something about the kingdom of God that's mentioned or told in the Old Testament. This is why he makes a reference to the prophets. This is also why later on in his Sermon on the Mount, he's going to say that he's come to fulfill the laws and the words of the prophets, not to abolish them. And then there's another example in these Beatitudes here uh, where Jesus talks about the meek, they shall inherit the earth. He's actually referring to Psalm 37 there, another passage in the Old Testament. That phrase, inherit the earth, is synonymous with the world to come. It's this traditional, ancient Jewish view. There's this world, and then there is the world to come. There's the kingdom that is, and there's the kingdom that's not yet. Jesus is recalling the Hebrew scriptures and the prophets, and he's acknowledging the mystery of this world and the world that is to come. That the future is not some far-off land in the clouds, but it's this vision of a renewed and reconciled and redeemed earth where humanity um, and all of life flourishes and is abundant and is living the way it was supposed to be. Just like in the Lord's Prayer, remember that, that line, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? 
We're called to live the future now to allow God's kingdom to break into our world now by the way in which we choose to live, by the ways in which we choose to be set apart as God's people. Okay, so here I've got another fun saint reference for you today. This is our little All Saints Day, I've decided. Um, St. Francis of Assisi, you might have heard of him. He once told his monks that if you were in the middle of a heavenly vision, okay, if you were in deep meditation and, you know, there's like rays of heaven beaming down on you and, and you're just feeling one in communion with God, right? And then a beggar comes knocking on your door asking for a cup of, of I was going to say coffee. Water is really the story, but I guess I need some more coffee this morning. But <laughs> if a beggar comes begging for a cup of cold water, okay, um, for you to, to turn to that beggar and, and give that person a drink would actually be to participate in the reality of heaven, Okay. But if you were to stay in that heavenly vision and, and ignore that person's needs, you would actually be rejecting God's face. So ultimately what St. Francis was trying to say is that we participate in God's kingdom whenever we honor Christ's presence, the image of God in our fellow human beings. And I think where we maybe, as the American church, have gone wrong at times in the past is when we start to think that we, as Christ followers, are called to just negate the broken world around us and just sit in, in holiness waiting for heaven, right? But St. Francis, like he said, where we go wrong is when we just sit there with our vision upwards. Today is Transfiguration Sunday in the Christian calendar, Epiphany, the season of Epiphany, where we talk about being Jesus being the light of the world. It ends with this transfiguration, which is kind of this really wild story. And later on in Matthew, where... Um, Peter and James and John, three of Jesus' like BFFs, disciples, they are up on the mountaintop and they see Jesus appear in this heavenly glow, right? Beams of light, all that, picture that. And he's up there with Moses and Elijah, these great heroes of the Jewish faith. And Peter just wants to freeze that moment and just kind of sit in that moment. Of course, it's not how it works. They come down off the mountainside. And right after that, Matthew puts in this story about how uh, this boy and his father came up, and the boy is sick, and, and the disciples try to heal the boy, and they can't do it. So Jesus has to, has to heal the boy for them. And when the disciples go back to Jesus and say, Oh, God, Lord, why couldn't, we, why couldn't we heal him? Jesus told them, Well, you know, you don't have enough faith. And so I think we, like the disciples, we got to turn our attention to the pain and the hurt of the world. Sometimes we need that kick in the pants, right? That kick in the pants to just stop looking up and wonder and awe at Jesus and to turn to our, our fellow human beings, our suffering neighbors, who um, that is the way, the work in which we do, is how we let the kingdom of God break into our world here and now. This is why, it's passages like this and so many others, that I believe that Jesus is not giving us a prescription here in these Beatitudes. He's not saying, okay, you know, take these two pills, eat an apple a day, do these Beatitudes, and you'll get into heaven. I don't think that's what's going on here. What I think Jesus is doing is not a prescription, but a description, a description of the abundance of life, a description of, of life at its fullest. Yesterday at, at the, uh, the marriage retreat, the speaker talked about how a human being thriving and, and knowing his or herself to the fullest and living in, um, as a whole human being, healthy whole human being, that, that is God's greatest joy and desire. And so I think about all the ways in which we can make choices to step into healthy whole relationships in our world. And, and, all, and every time we do, how we allow a little bit of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven to break through on our earth. So I think about how the kingdom of heaven is already here when we choose to forgive someone. It's not yet realized when we choose to harbor a grudge. You know, the kingdom of heaven is already here when we're generous. And it's not yet here when we hoard our resources and we allow others to go hungry and thirsty. 
the kingdom of, of heaven is here on earth whenever we choose to use nonviolence and embrace compassion and step into each other's stories. And it's not yet here when we choose violence and discriminate and use hateful language and oppress others. Nadia Bolt Weber is a Lutheran pastor in Denver, and uh, she wrote this book called Accidental Saints. The subtitle is Finding God in All the Wrong People. And in it, she talks about her, one of her experiences doing All Saints Day in the Lutheran tradition. And I just want to read for you guys something that she said about the Beatitudes, because it's just good. It's really good. So, it'll be on the screen. You can follow me as well. What if the Beatitudes aren't about a list of conditions we should try to meet to be blessed? What if they're not virtues we should aspire to? What if Jesus saying, blessed are the meek, is not instructive, but performative, that the pronouncement of blessing is actually what confers the blessing itself? Maybe the Sermon on the Mount is all about Jesus' lavish blessing of the people around him on that hillside, blessing all the accidental saints in this world, especially those who, like our world, those who that world, like ours, didn't seem to have much time for. People in pain. People who work for peace instead of profit. People who exercise mercy instead of vengeance. Maybe Jesus was simply blessing the ones around him that day who didn't otherwise receive blessing, who had come to believe that for them, blessings would never be in the cards. I mean, come on, doesn't that just sound like something Jesus would do? Extravagantly throwing around blessings as though they grew on trees? I imagined Jesus standing there blessing us all because I believe that is our Lord's nature. Because after all, it was Jesus who had all the powers of the universe at his disposal, but did not consider his equality with God to be, to be exploited. Instead, he came to us in the most vulnerable of ways, as a powerless flesh and blood newborn. As if to say, you may hate your bodies, but I am blessing all human flesh. You may admire strength and might, but I am blessing all human weakness. You may seek power, but I am blessing all human vulnerability. This Jesus whom we follow cried at the tomb of his friend and turned the other cheek and forgave those who hung him on a cross. He was God's beatitude, God's blessing to the, wor- to the weak in a world that admires only the strong. And I wanted to just share that rather than paraphrasing it or trying to say it in my words because there's just something so right on about that. Because here we are, you know, these accidental saints, kind of trying to work out our holiness amongst the, the messed up kingdoms of this world, trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus within our systems and our politics and our culture. The kingdom of God is advancing, and yet it's not, life is not yet the way it's supposed to be. Living this gospel message in a healthy way is a really challenging thing, I think especially for us here in New York City. No one ever said that it would be easy either. The values of God's kingdom will always be countercultural to the kingdoms and the values and standards of this world. And I think if we rewrote these Beatitudes for New York City, if we wrote for Brooklyn in 2016, they would probably say something more like this. The Beatitudes of our world would say, Blessed are you, the rich and the powerful. Blessed are you, the beautiful and thin. Blessed are those with ambition and the money to buy what they want in life. Blessed are those who take revenge and use politics to sway the systems of this world in their favor and in favor of those who look and sound like them. Blessed are those who never shake the status quo and never deal with their mistakes. Blessed are those who embrace the newest trend, the latest fad, and follow all the culture of our powerful city. To be a people who are set apart, though, means that we are called to sit in the mystery of this world and the world that is yet to come. 
to hold the saint and the sinner inside of us, the grief and the joy, the hope and the fear. To be Christ followers means that we wrestle with the fear and the anxiety and the stress that it can cause to live counterculturally in the city. And it also means to sit in freedom while we wait and while we work it out. Acknowledging God's presence in our lives and living as best we can, free of the burdens of what our society tells us, free of the political identities, free of the shame that others try to put on you, free of the burdens of your past, free of the definition of success that you see around you, free to know that it is Christ alone, it's Christ's love and sacrifice for you alone that defines you. And I want to take just a two-second pause here because I want to articulate something that we haven't actually talked about yet. I want to address that, that word persecute or persecution because we haven't talked about that yet and it's in a few of these verses. I think we all kind of know that we don't face the persecution that Jesus is talking about here, but let's be clear on that. Jesus is specifically addressing his disciples, okay? Um, these 70 people on the hillside with him, some of whom will go on to become his apostles, the people who will form um, the very earliest churches, right? And these are people, most of whom will go on to be martyred and Jesus knows this. These are people who are going to get stoned, who are going to be burned at the stake, who will be crucified and and go through all kinds of forms of torture and insult and persecution as they witness for Christ and they build the earliest churches throughout the Roman Empire and the world. And we don't get martyred like that. The hardship that we suffer as we try to live counterculturally is nothing in comparison to that kind of suffering, that physical suffering. And, you know, it's true that we can look around our world today and there are still Christ followers who who are persecuted. I think we've all heard some of the horrors of what can happen in ISIS territory. But we know nothing of that kind of hardship. We live in the dominant culture. We live in one of the most influential cultures in our world. And I don't dismiss if you feel like you don't belong in that culture, if you feel like the minority in the culture of of your family or at your work. That is something, and I think what we can learn from this is, is to use our experiences to build our compassion and our empathy and to use our abilities and our power to stand alongside those who are being truly persecuted in this world. Living with perspective on this kind of suffering, I think, can only strengthen our compassion and our humility and make us more like Jesus if we allow it. And rant on persecution, okay? Now, back to Epiphany. Here we are as we're walking out of the season and I want us to know more than anything, I want us to realize that we are leaving this knowing that we are loved and that we already exist in God's presence. Because so often I think we we think that we have to have everything figured out, that we got to be, you know, we got to do all these beatitudes right before we can be loved. But here's Jesus standing here telling you, your self-worth is not dependent on what others think of you. It's not dependent on how well you fit into this world. God's love doesn't work the way your family's love did. Your self-worth is based on Christ's love for you. You cannot attain the presence of God because you are already fully in the presence of God. Your good deeds don't matter. They don't make you more loved. You are loved. And the way you choose to respond is how you show, is how you, how you find yourself living in freedom through that. You are already blessed beyond measure. But I realize that this is a really hard thing for us to understand sometimes. Because how are you supposed to know what healthy love looks like, what wholeness looks like when you're you know, the child of twice-divorced parents? How are you supposed to Address the needs of others when your whole heart is grieving at the loss of a loved one? How are you supposed to live free of fear when you're not sure that you can pay the rent for the third month in a row, right? 
It's really hard to figure out sometimes what wholeness and healthiness looks like when our world takes love and manipulates it and turns it into codependency and abuse and shame and so many other difficult things. It's too easy for us to believe that we're not good enough, that we're not worthy of love, that we're not that people aren't capable of being trusted, that we can just make it in life on our own. The world can do terrible things to us. We can do terrible things to each other. We all make mistakes that we wish we could take back. But our stories do not qualify us, do not disqualify us from participating in God's kingdom. This is what makes this gospel message so counterintuitive and so life-altering and so radical that absolutely, unmistakably, it is for those who have no voice. It's one of the most radical and impactful things about the gospel message is how much Jesus speaks for the women, for the sick, for the lowly, for those on the margins, for those who have no voice. This good news is for those who've been abandoned by their family. It's for those who've lost it all. It's for the powerless who can't speak for themselves. This is, the people, this is for the people who literally say, I can't do this life anymore. I've got nothing left. It's for those who feel like the pain that I have will leave me scarred forever. Here's Jesus, right? standing on the mountainside, lavishly throwing out blessings, telling them, telling you, telling each one of us, my love is what defines you. Wake up to my presence. Step in and be filled. So, my question for us today is what is it that you need to do or hear or believe about your life that will allow you to accept that you are loved, that you are already blessed? How do you contextualize these beatitudes in your own life? Is it these small little gestures or something big? What's your calling, your vocation for God? In what ways are you already blessed in your life? In what ways do you feel like God is working? Maybe it's the, the, the very deepest, darkest places where you never expected. So maybe it's in the place that you feel like it's really hard. And what is getting in the way of you moving closer to God and developing a relationship with Jesus? Are you struggling with pride or selfishness? What pain from your past are you trying to let go of? What in your story, in your background, do you need to accept or let go of in order to move forward? What do you need to hear from Jesus standing on that hillside in order to believe that you are blessed, that you are a child of God made in God's image and blessed to participate in God's kingdom now? I think if we are already in the blessings of God, then those blessings fall over all of us. The Democrats, the Republicans, and everything in between. We've got a lot of that talk in our country right now. The stockbrokers and the refugees, the ones who just buried a loved one, the ones who just had a child, the ones who just got their dream job, the ones who've been unemployed for years. These blessings fall over every single one of us. At the end of this, uh, this book, Nadia lists these beatitudes that she writes out for the people in her community. And she just kind of thinks through their stories and their experiences, and she writes the beatitudes that she thinks Jesus would say specifically to them, personally to the people in her community. And as I was reading through it, I was struck because I heard a couple lines in there that were my own story. And I realized that I am blessed as well in the places that I struggle with and some of the hardest stuff. And to hear you know, to imagine Jesus specifically articulating my story like that is pretty powerful. It changes the way, it changes the way you sit inside these beatitudes. And so, for us this morning, I wanna I wanna invite all of us to sit inside of them together. And I want us to kind of do a little 
a little project together. So you may have seen on your chair this little slip of paper, right? Blessed are the, and then it's blank. I want us to write our own communal beatitudes. I want us to do this together. I want you to kind of take some time this morning to sit and reflect. You know, we kept the meet and greet question really light today because now I'm going to ask you to go a little deeper. <laughs> so um, what's the dark spot in your story? What's the challenging place? Where, where do you feel God working in your life? Where do you feel that blessing? Or where are you hoping to feel that blessing? Or maybe you don't know what to write and you want to write a blessing for someone who you love dearly, who you wish could understand how much they are loved. Wherever you are with this, I want you guys to just write your own beatitude. Write down a beatitude that we're going to kind of slip into Jesus' beatitudes and, and allow to be kind of our testimony of what these beatitudes are for us, for Forefront Brooklyn in 2016. Um, and then we're not going to just, you know, write these and, and throw them away, pray for them and throw them away. We're going to actually collect them, and uh, the kids are even participating in this with us. They're downstairs drawing pictures of themselves with Jesus, and they're going <laughs> to uh, make artwork for us. And we are going to assemble these, Ben and I, and we're going to turn them into a blog post, and they're going to be our communal beatitudes, okay? And so this morning... I just want to close this out. I'm going to give us a little help with this. I'm going to read to you guys the Beatitudes from this book that, that Nadia Boltz-Weber wrote for her congregation. And maybe you'll hear the exact words of what you want to write down on your slip of paper. Or maybe it'll inspire you to find some words for yourself. Um, but just take some moments to, to sit and listen to this if you want to. Uh, ben and, and Leslie are going to come back up and, and play some music. And when it's time, they'll call you into to communion. And at that point, I hope that you guys will participate with us and just drop your your personal beatitude. Nobody has to know it's you. So. Blessed are the agnostics. Blessed are they who doubt, those who aren't sure, who can still be surprised. Blessed are they who are spiritually impoverished and therefore not so certain about everything that they no longer take in new information. Blessed are those who have nothing to offer. Blessed are the preschoolers who cut in line at communion. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are they for whom death is not an abstraction. Blessed are they who have buried their loved ones for whom tears could fill an ocean. Blessed are they who have loved enough to know what loss feels like. Blessed are the mothers of the miscarried. Blessed are they who don't have the luxury of taking things for granted anymore. Blessed are they who can't fall apart because they have to keep it together for everyone else. Blessed are the motherless alone, the ones from whom so much has been taken. Blessed are those who still aren't over it yet. Blessed are those who mourn. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are those who no one else notices. The kids who sit alone at middle school lunch tables, the laundry guys at the hospital, the sex workers, and the night shift street sweepers. Blessed are the losers and the babies and the parts of ourselves that are so small, the parts of ourselves that don't want to make eye contact with a world that loves only the winners. Blessed are the forgotten. Blessed are the closeted. 
Blessed are the unemployed, the unimpressive, the underrepresented. Blessed are the teens who have to figure out ways to hide the new cuts on their arms. Blessed are the meek. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are the wrongly accused, the ones who never catch a break, the ones for whom life is hard, for Jesus chose to surround himself with people like them. Blessed are those without documentation. Blessed are the ones without lobbyists. Blessed are foster kids and trophy kids and special ed kids and every other kid who just wants to feel loved and safe. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who know there has to be more than this because they are right. Blessed are they who hear that they are forgiven and who have ever forgiven someone who didn't deserve it. Blessed are the merciful, for they totally get it. Amen.